I love movies. Gosh, I love movies. And here we go. How's it going, everyone? Welcome to the Grindhouse Podcast with Dave and Matt. And Matt, I'm actually in a very good mood today. Glad to hear it. It's been a little while. You've been you've been kind of pessimistic lately and uh, kind of down. You know, I'm guessing all the well, you, all the talks we've had have uh, cheered you up and brought you back to the brighter side well, of things. It's that, and also I was fully expecting nuclear winter to occur over the week, and it didn't. So we made it another week. Every week that we don't get blown up, I'm going to celebrate this. Every week that World War Three gets held off just a little bit longer is reason to celebrate, and so. I'm going to crack open a Lone Star and salute you, sir, for one more week alive on Earth. You just want to celebrate another day of living? Uh, that Yeah, I understand that. L-I-V-I-N. And <laughs> uh, that being said, though, I do I do have a little bit of negative news. And I know, Matt, that you're you're a big gamer guy, right? Like you're a big, big fan of the video games. I'm a giant gamer guy. I weigh about 400 pounds. From I've I made it all playing it's video not true. games. Not I'm, true. I'm big. But, I'm into games, big time. Yeah, you're really got, into games. I own well, a lot of them. I don't play a lot of them because I don't have a lot of spare time. But I own them all. Well, well, you know, people ask me all the time, Dave, how did Matt get the nickname Crazy Hands? Never. So let me tell you guys a little story. Let me tell you a story. So when we were kids growing up in Corpus Christi, Texas, there was an arcade, and what? Matt would go to this arcade every day. And he would just – he had a pail of quarters. He would just sit there. He was, he was really trying to beat the high score on Street Fighter Turbo, you know, and always coming oh, a little short of it. Didn't and then, have to try, my man. Didn't have to try. One day there's this guy. He walks in and, you know, Matt's so close to getting the high score and he's got like a leather jacket on and he's got like a like cool shade, like aviator shades. Like kind of looked like Stallone and Cobra jacked, you know. <laughs> All right. And he challenged you. To a, to a Street Fighter duel, best out of 10, right? So Matt, being the local legend, you know, couldn't pass this up. So they engage in thumb combat, each man putting their skills on the line. And it came down to the final match. And I don't even think I can replicate exactly and explain to the audience what you did. But the, I think the you can because you're kind of making it up as you go. And, so I'm pretty sure No, you, this is a can, true story. Yeah. 100% true story. Uh-huh. The dexterity of your hands as you did this crazy combo. Legend has it that no one has ever put off this combo with Chung Li ever again. But it was this crazy combo. It was like a spinning helicopter kick with some fireballs. And I think she like jumped off the side screen and shot lasers out of her eyes. I don't even know how that happened. <laughs> but you defeated the foe. We never saw him again. The legend of crazy hands, Matt has lived on since then. So, so got, that's the story. You're not that far off. I mean, I would <laughs> like <laughs> I did I, I would skateboard down to the like the arcade and hang out there all day and just uh I was I it, it was fun because back in those days, you know, in arcades you put you put your quarter in and it was kind of cool to see like the other side of the machine, you know, dude after guy after guy. Right. Like, quarters going in and you're still on the first quarter you know and they're they'd always give the same excuse with uh because back in those days that was when the the fighting games first started to come to the consoles 
Right. And so kids would always say, oh, I'm used to playing Street Fighter at home. You know, <laughs> so <laughs> you'd be kicking their ass. Yeah, I'm used to I'm used to having a controller. And you're just like, get out of here. Don't come in here with that excuse, man. See, I was the opposite. I, uh, I didn't really afford a gaming system until way later. And then so I would always use the excuse. I'm used to the arcade, you know, yeah. you the joystick. And then I yeah. go and like. So, well, you know, we're talking about arcades and I was just thinking about how cool it was as kids um, going to the local arcade and seeing all the cool neon lights of the gaming, like sort of illuminating these dark rooms and the sound of quarters. And nowadays, I don't even know. I mean, I guess arcades kind of exist. They're like mostly for adults now to go drink and like reminisce about the good old days. Yeah, pretty much. We don't use quarters anymore. You have like a card that you put money on and... Yeah, exactly. So, there, so it's almost there is a really rad place in Portland, whose uh, name I can't remember, but like, yeah, it's <laughs> it's still quarter arcade. It's I mean, it's like a bar, so they want to make all their money off the drinks. But anyway, that's yeah, irrelevant. Right. <laughs> I'll remember the name. Well, later. so so nowadays, you know, with the the, the the technology as it has advanced now, we have things uh, like PlayStation fours and online desktop computers, what have you. But the bad news that I come to bear is that one of the most widely anticipated games and something that that actually made draw me back into playing video games was uh, the new uh, Cyberpunk 2077, which was meant to come out like in a couple months, right? Uh, I think so. Yeah, in the summer or something. Uh, so, wow. So that's what this is all about. You, you crazy hands, the story, all that, just to announce that the... So that the new CD Projekt Red game has been delayed. Yeah, listen, Matt, we are at the forefront of the audience's knowledge about entertainment. It is our job as serious journalists to inform them when a hotly anticipated video game has been pushed back to the fall. People got to know what to do with their time. It does look pretty good. Um, Keanu Reeves is in it. Keanu Reeves is in it. That's true. Uh, Some other actors, right? Norman Reedus, maybe, or someone? No, you're thinking of a different game there. No, this one pretty much just just has Keanu, I think. But uh, it's it's I think it's cool. I think it's fitting that Keanu Reeves is going to be in this game. The game is called Cyberpunk 2077, and right. I think that Keanu Reeves has been a uh, a big actor in uh, the the cyberpunk genre in cinema. He's I think he's one of the yeah. ones that's done the most. You got like. I mean, it's not a lot of stuff, but it's the Matrix. That's uh, a big Matrix for sure. Yeah. The, all three of those movies. Uh, Johnny Mnemonic. Johnny Mnemonic, definitely. Yeah, man. Yeah. Uh, which is probably one one of the most cyberpunky movies that's ever existed. Uh, Absolutely. It's, I mean, it's got it all. Um, and uh, what what is cyberpunk though? Like, what are we what are we talking about? Well, <clears throat> to me, like you know, for those who may not know what cyberpunk is, cyberpunk is something that was really born of the 80s and really really super was influential in day-to-day fashion and music uh come the 90s but it's a genre it's a subgenre of sci-fi that takes into account some of the uh, aesthetics and tropes of sort of, of the of the film noir genre you know the hard-boiled detective and it infuses this idea of um unrestrained capitalism grown wild and uh bursting technology that influences and and um is intertwined with all of our lives and and the themes of what that will do to a society on the cusp of collapse you know or maybe maybe the society is on the cusp of, of collapse because of these 
these elements, right? So you have, um, you know, the most famous, of course, is Blade Runner, which I've talked about. Ad nauseum is one of my favorite film. Is it is my favorite film of all time? Okay. Um, that's super influential. You have, um, you have William Gibson's Neuromancer, which I am shocked they haven't made a movie of yet. Uh, but Neuromancer is excellent, excellent book. If you haven't had an opportunity to read that, you had The Matrix as before talked about, and so it's all these. I mean, RoboCop, another great example. A lot of people maybe don't think of that as cyberpunk, but in many ways, it very much is. Okay, um, and that's just the sort of the American influence on things, right? That doesn't even take into account Japanese, you know, uh, cyber western, cyberpunk kind of vibe that that you know again really hit popularity at the height of the 80s and and going into the 90s. I think of it as like a something that kind of accidentally became an alternate reality sort of thing. Like, you know how there's steampunk where they go, uh, oh yeah, what if uh, steam technology is all we ever advanced to and all of a you know, all, all of our modern world was just based on steam power and what would that look like? And, And I think, um, when the cyberpunk genre came around, it was almost just like it was futuristic sci-fi. It was people going like, this is what I think could a future could be like. And I think over time we've, uh, we've started to see that that is definitely not what the future is going to be like. Uh, you know, people with cybernetic, you know, heavy duty cybernetic implants, more machine sure. than man, you know, that kind of stuff as uh we now, well, well I, no, I think definitely. Like as as we now are in an era where we probably have more advanced technology on us than most of those cyberpunk films uh, sure. would would have had us believe that we, you know, to to get to the level of technology that we carry around in our pockets and on our uh, you know little computer wristwatches. Uh, if you got a, if you got a watch, most folks don't. Most folks just have the phone. But to get to that level of technology, according to cyberpunk, you would have to have like a computer implanted in your brain and like a cybernetic eyeball and a robot arm and stuff. But right, like, right. Well, you know, now, now we're here and we can see that like, uh, oh, yeah, we're probably not going to be doing that. We'll just get better phones. And so that's so I put it in like that genre of like alternate possibility technology now. Well, it's funny because a lot of those movies like take, for for example, Blade Runner, right? Blade Runner is now officially set in the past as of this last November. That's right. And so um, I think that so much of the cyberpunk that we really think about was such a byproduct of the 80s. It was a byproduct of like Reaganism Hmm. and the deregulation of advertisement that Reagan ushered in and uh, the rise of Japanese economic power kind of all culminating at the same time, even though – you know, books like Neuromancer and uh, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, even though these are older stories in some ways. Um, well, I guess Neuromancer is not. Neuromancer is right, right in the heart of it. But it was very much born of what was happening at the time. And we talked about this with horror, um, how horror, you know, is a reflective of the anxieties of the time. We talked about last week the the role that movies play when it comes to, say, like foreign relations and war and you know, is art a mirror or a hammer? Sci-fi, especially cyberpunk, very much was a reflection of the anxieties of the 80s. In the same way that, say, the slasher movies were a reflection of those, like, Reagan moralities. Yeah, okay. Uh, sure. I could I could see where you're coming from uh, with that. So now with, uh, you know, Blade Runner officially in the past and as you're saying, they probably missed the mark 
in a lot of ways in terms of like what the future was, right? But but maybe not entirely, right? It just just I think obviously real life future is a little bit more subtle. So in a cyberpunk movie, you've got to your point uh, cybernetic eye, cybernetic arm. You know, you got implants in your brain. You're going into the you know like in Tron, you're going into the grid. Those things kind of exist now, not quite as aesthetically pleasing maybe, but much maligned, the the whole people are always on their phones, right? Okay. What is that other than being in cyberspace? And um, there is real robotics for people who have lost arms and, you know, amputees and what have you that do exist. Um, They're not quite as – they're not – as of now, they're not being used sort of just like as as cosmetic surgery, but we could talk about cosmetic surgery. You know, we could talk about, you know, butt implants and and boob implants and cool sculpting. And body modification is still very much a real thing that, that many people participate in. So is cyberpunk relative to today's society? Like are are shows that that lean heavily on the old tropes of Blade Runner, like, uh, say, Netflix's Altered Carbon, or for that matter, even to some degree, Blade Runner 2049. Is that still something that is is important to our modern society? Yes, I think so. I, I think we, uh, we, we do get to explore some of the possible uh, warnings that we need to take as we uh, you know advance in technology and stuff uh the thing is and i'm sorry i i'm not getting all of the uh, social context that you are from it like mm. when i think of cyberpunk i think of it as like a uh a hack and slash kind of um heavy-handed look at what technology can become you know kind of like mm-hmm. the civil war battlefield surgery version you know it's like oh you sure, got shot sure. in the leg so we got to cut the whole leg off it's like uh it's it's a uh a brutal look at technology, a, um, right. Not, not the elegant, uh, white plastic phones we have now, you know, not, not the, like the sleek, thin laptops and, and people just, well, it's just you know, walking around with something in their bookcase, uh, book bag that right. ha- has like more technology than anything that any of these movies have, have even thought of. It's a whole arm removed to have like a robot arm, you know, it's, it's something, it's brutal. It's like forceful. Yeah. And, it, and that's where I think the punk comes from because it's like, uh, like when you talk about Japanese cyberpunk films, I, I, yeah, definitely Akira is a great one. Uh, there's a lot of really good stuff to draw from an anime, Alita battle angel, um, all Which kinds of actually a good movie as well. Yeah. I haven't seen the movie yet, but the, the anime was great. But there's also, um, some really cool indie stuff like Tetsuo, the Iron Man, which oh, was, I remember you showed me that ages ago, and I loved it. It's amazing, yeah, and it's it's a, uh, a, a it's almost like a kaiju film, you know, like the giant monsters that fight in the city, but like shrunk down yeah. to uh, you know regular human size, and it's it's a man turning into a machine, and he gets in a Two fight man. with another robotic Spoilers. man, but the uh, the the music was this heavy you know industrial sound and it's about like it's to me it's more of like a way to express a uh an, an artistic medium of uh technology uh used in a, a, a more artistic way it's like that game you talked about coming out i mean there's right there's people in that game with like removable faces like dudes that have you know half their head is like it's not even there it's like uh 
it's it's freaky stuff. Like, have you seen any of the uh, the, the videos from yeah. anything? Yeah, it's like, it actually makes me really excited. Like, there's one gang where it's like the whole frontal lobe seems to be removed, and they've got this like caved in head with like some kind of weird night vision scope instead, and they're just walking around all tough and. It's uh, it's it's very brutal stuff. It's like well, let me ask, no let me no ask turning back. Question. Like once you've made those decisions, you are that robot right. thing now. And and I don't think that that's something that is ever going to happen. In fact, I don't think that's a possibility. Well, 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 let me ask you a question though. You're right. I, I think that the way that a lot of these cyberpunk films coming out of the '80s and the '90s imagined the world was was very harsh. However. What is the core motivation for a lot of this harshness, right? This idea of like night scope eyes or like a robotic arm. What what is the ultimately the motivation behind these characters having these these implants? It's to advance uh, human capability, right? Okay, so yeah. what? So to be more to be more than human in some ways, right? Right. Kind of an easy way to sum it up. Now we don't do that. Now, the, you know, the cybernetic arms that exist, uh, those are mostly for must-need surgeries and, like I mentioned before, amputees. But when we look at social media and we look at um, some of the ways that we present ourselves, you know, there are numerous apps, you know, Photoshop and the like, that allow you to make certain parts of your body bigger, certain parts of your body smaller, yeah. you know, remove blemishes, change your eye color, um, you know, I'm sure it gets gets even more complicated than that. In some ways, is that not a sleeker, more subtle version of what those films were anticipating? Kind of, yeah. But get, you know, like it's like I'm saying, it's it's external. It's not something that you actually do. It's not like uh, you know, those people when you go meet them, they're they're they don't look like their picture because they right. have removed their face and put on a different face that day because all of their faces are actually robotic prosthetics or something, you know, uh, like well, what that's about, not um, Instead, they, what about even the, even the idea of like the virtual reality, right? Like lawnmower man or Tron, this idea of like going into your virtual world and being your virtual self. Like in some ways, I think that this society did fall into that warning, except, not quite in the same way. Not you know, it's it's yeah. a movie, so it's dramatic. Like we live in we live in a world. Uh, you know, the movie I just did, for example, is roughly about a, a guy who sort of has a whole presentation of himself through social media that is not reflective of the truth of his inner character. Right. Uh huh. Now, in a cyberpunk movie, it would literally be a guy like putting on a device and like going into the cyber world and like. Being a god, you know, being the lawnmower man, but like, yeah. but that's not quite the same way. But it, but to some degree, I do want to give those movies credit because while maybe they missed the mark in terms of the aesthetic, I think that they the fear, the anxiety, did come to fruition, and and part of and parcel with that is why I think that um, some of those some of the new movies that are relying on the old tropes maybe aren't quite as impactful anymore. I'll give you an example. So in Blade Runner, you've seen the original Blade Runner, right? Yes. What's like a super memorable image from that film? The um, the, the the big billboard thing that's like a Japanese woman or something. Yeah, the, and the she, geisha drink. Yeah. The, the, the big geisha advertisement on the side of a building and neon lights. Yeah, that was really cool. That is um, uh, selling, a, I think it's candy or something yeah. to that effect, right? Now, at the time, 
Japan was really reaching its pinnacle in economic power. And if you look at, I mean, out, especially American um, cyberpunk, they outright stole downtown Tokyo from an aesthetic standpoint. Between that and, you know, the the, the uh, old hard-boiled, like, Maltese Falcon and things of that nature, like, that whole aesthetic got wrapped up into this these world. Every city in the cyberpunk kind of exists the same way. It's always night. It's always raining. Uh-huh. A city lit by advertisement. Now... At the time where Reagan is deregulating advertisement and for the first time the restrictions on advertising to children has been lifted and Japan is a world power and they're starting to buy up motor companies. And these are like real anxieties that, that people are having. Like remember remember the old growing up it was like buy American cars, don't buy Japanese. You know, that was like that big thing that was kind of a, in the zeitgeist at the time. Yeah, they made that movie with Michael Keaton. Where the uh, Japanese guys, he had to, they, they took over the American factory or something, and and, and what were what were they using to be more efficient? Right, robotics, right? Robotics in industry was replacing the the American worker. Right. You know, Japan was bringing technology to replace the working man. So these are all the sort of the, the things behind some of these anxieties. I mean, the internet was just starting to like it was it existed even though it wasn't like on the home front just yet. Uh-huh. But nowadays, you know, like. Okay, I'm sure at the time, in in the 80s, to see a world filled with unrestrained capitalism and advertisements being your only source of light, right? That was probably meant to feel imposing. It was meant to feel, um, you know, uh, crushing to have this, like, just a world filled with advertisement. Uh-huh. But we've lived that life for so long where we are bombarded constantly with advertisement that now when we see a movie like Altered Carbon or Mute or any of these newer cyberpunk films, um, is that really threatening anymore It's for us to see advertisement on every corner? It's a little different, though. Uh, we're, not, we're not bombarded with advertisement in the same way those movies pre- presented it. Like, Correct. you can go and take a walk through your city and mostly avoid ads. It's just when you turn on your computer or pick up your cell phone or turn on your television. It's like if you if you want to spend a day without seeing ads, you know, you pretty much can. You don't it's Well, maybe in Austin, not in t- not in Los Angeles. I mean, there's going to be billboards and stuff, you know, but it's uh that yeah. it's not like uh those movies presented, you know. Uh, really right, the right. Way we, reason we feel bombarded with advertisement is because we've taken on the social media thing that puts our uh, you know, so much of our personality aspects out there for advertisers to seize on. Right. And so we're we're not only getting a lot of ads, it's they're they're relevant, targeted, personal ads about things you're interested in. It feels a little weird to see that, but I find for the most part, you can avoid them if you want. Uh, you sure. just you have to sacrifice some of your access to, you know, social media and stuff like that. But uh, I don't know. It's weird. It's it's a weird situation. Um, I will it get that way? Like what 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 you're describing isn't that far off because like it, it could get that way. So you know, kind of like in Zero Theorem where he's walking down the street and there's like. Mm-hmm. This long, uh, I guess you'd call it like a ribbon TV because it's about 20, you know, maybe 36 inches tall, but it's like 100 feet wide and an ad is just following you down the street aware of who you are. You know, right. and and talking to you as you walk, uh, we could get that way. It's it's a tough thing because it it does seem that if 
it does seem that the more we we learn how to turn off ads, you know, like uh, there was the whole uh, cable cutting revolution where we stopped having cable and stopped watching television and live advertisement went away. Uh, And now they seem to be crawling back in, in in different little cracks. You know, it's like whenever we put up walls to block out the ads, they find cracks and they get in in some other place. Uh, That's right. So, yeah, we we could. I mean, it it seems like the uh, the advertising industry has has put the message out there that they will find a way. So, you know, do right. maybe maybe we shouldn't try to resist them. Maybe we should have ads on TV shows and ads on websites and and not use blockers and stuff because eventually they will be on ribbon TVs on the street following you around or or like weird drones dangling above your head following you like talking to you you know like right. they'll they'll get you somehow you know what i mean well and, I, and that brings up an interesting point so see to me that is a more that's more representative of an anxiety that that a modern audience would respond to right so you know if when we see movies like altered carbon or mute or or any of these things and you see the big billboards that's it just looks cool right because it's nostalgic for yeah. us but this idea that like this advertisement is following you around, like you're in a urinal and like the advertisement opens up in front of you. And then like you go to your phone and it knows like one thing that happens all the time for me that I really, really dislike is I'll go somewhere, a restaurant, for example. Uh-huh. And then I'll get a little notification on my phone that says like, you know, how was your visit to veggie girl? Yeah. And it's like, dude, I didn't tell anyone I went there. You just calculated based on the amount of time I spent at this geo location that I was at this restaurant, and now you're asking me to review it. You yeah. know, it's like a it's like home invasion. It's it's a it's like I guess you put you put it the right way. Like this these these this capitalism and this this advertisement and this this sort of media is going to seep into you and find you, no matter how many walls you try to put up to block yourself from. But at the same time. There is an aspect of that that's just interacting with your community because I'm assuming Veggie Grill is probably a uh, a local establishment. Uh, it's a chain, but it's a city chain. City chain, yeah. And so, in the same way, I I went to Discount Electronics here in Austin and bought a little hard drive recently, and uh, for like three days, I was getting that message like, "How was your visit to Discount Electronics?" And it's not, and right. they're not sending it. Yeah, that's the weird part. They're not the ones that are. They got my email address, and they're saying, "Hey, please review our store." That, that it's not that. It's like my phone is just going. You should give them a review. <laughs> uh, it, right. I think it'd be nice. Yeah, but at the same time, I should give them a review. They're a good company. They're Austin established, and uh, I do a lot of shopping there. And I really like all the employees. They're really smart people. It's like, you know, I want to support stores where the employees are knowledgeable and cool and know what I'm talking about. It shouldn't all be Best Buy where you go in and the guy tries to sell you something you don't actually need because he doesn't actually know you don't need it. He just doesn't know anything. Right, right. Uh, but by the way, yeah, I want to say something about Best Buy. Just, I mean, this is totally off topic, but like, <laughs> yeah, this I've I've realized something recently in small towns. See, my parents are living out in New Braunfels. It's not a big city, but it's big enough to have a Best Buy. And okay. you've heard of their repair group, the uh, the Geek Squad. You know yeah, what I'm talking yeah. about? The Best Buy, yeah. It was a byproduct of the 90s. Huh? That's actually sort of a byproduct of 90s cyberpunk. I, I suppose it is. Uh, but uh, they, yeah, like a few years back, they maybe a decade ago, they started their own little like computer repair group called the Geek Squad. That uh, yep. I could tell you, man, in small towns with like a mostly retired community, 
Geek Squad is a whole different thing. Like they may convince you they're the people to call for like tech repair, but like every right. time I show up at my parents' house, they have new things that they've bought. And I'm going, what really? what happened? And they're saying like the TV remote didn't work. So we called Geek Squad to fix it and they sold us a new TV. You know, it's uh they, yeah, don't yeah, what, just just saying that for like I know some of our listeners are probably like in their 30s, 40s, 20s. Your parents are getting a little older. If they call you with some questions about the computer, like help them out cuz man, otherwise they're going to call Geek Squad and you're going to go over there and your parents, I mean they're going to have some cool stuff, but like they're going to be spending a lot of money. They're basically like a sales team, man. That's what I'm trying to say. Right. Well, well that I mean like okay, so subversive sales techniques, predatory sales techniques. To me, that's more indicative of what a modern cyberpunk story those are elements that a modern cyberpunk story could implement that I feel like would be very relevant versus the big giant geisha selling a candy yeah. neon sign. Like maybe in our current world where we're still dealing with the with the um, the anxieties and the worries of technology growth, right? It's not the big neon sign. It's the geek squad coming to your house. I can totally see it. Yeah. Right? Mar- marginally tech savvy sales teams that are just like targeting old people and where because it's what you're talking about it's like plan obsolescence it's like instead of repairing stuff or just pointing out that the old person had the wrong button on the remote pressed they they convince them they need to buy a whole new entertainment system uh yeah i i like uh, it i think that is the geek squad is one of the one of the things cyberpunk warned us about (laughs) in a way that's right (laughs) another thing going on out there in this uh well, that I don't I don't know if there's a cyberpunk equivalent to this, but like, okay, there are. Okay, so a lot of, so I think one of the things that cyberpunk where where I'm saying it's an alternate reality because it kind of failed to like realize what technology would be, is mm-hmm. um, has to do with the uh, the the tech scamming of the older generation. Like, mm-hmm. ha, are you aware that there is this? Uh, this scam going around where old people will get phone calls and it's some guy, you know, he's got like an Indian accent, but his name is Ted and he's uh, working for Microsoft and your computer has been sending out viruses all night. So we're calling you directly and see to it, to a young person. That sounds insane. You're like, what? Microsoft ain't calling me, man. Shut up. Get out of here. But old people like, yeah, that's what happens. You call someone, you know, so they, they, they answer it. And the next thing you know, this guy's like got uh, access to their computer, you know, where you can where you can like remotely move the mouse around and install yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. And like he's selling them shit over the phone, you know, because he's from Microsoft, you know, and that that's a I don't know. I I've, I feel like that's something that I would love to see uh, a. Um, addressed more because uh, someone's right. got to get the message out there. Cause it's really, as we move into this area of high tech, you know, as, as we talk about it a lot, you, you talk about boomers a lot, you know, as how confused they are by the modern era. They're easy to exploit and they're kind of easy to take, you know? And so they get took by like a con man, like the current president impeached president, pardon right, me, impeached right. president. And, uh, but in the same way they get, they get took by all kinds of stuff. I mean, ah, uh, man, my, uh, uh, I, I know an elderly woman that uh, I work with sometimes that has uh, always asked, always has a computer question for me, right? And she calls mm-hmm. me over one day and she's like, I need you to look at my computer. Can you please come over and just look at it? Yeah, sure. So I go over there and she's 
totally alarmed because she has this email of somebody saying that they caught her masturbating to porn on her webcam and they're going to release the video, <laughs> you know? And I'm like, well, right. first of all, you're like 70. Have you been masturbating to weird porn on your webcam? Because according to, according to this email, it's really bad shit, whatever you're looking at. And she's like, no, of right. course not. I only use the computer for email, you know? And I'm going, well, okay, let's look at a couple things here. This email doesn't have your name at all. You know, it it, it doesn't know your name. It's It's from some random web address. It's like, the, the 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 grammar is terrible uh you know is this really something you should, you should be alarmed about because this is a, to me i see a boilerplate email that they just send out to thousands of people and hope they get a response but to her right. it's like it's danger you know i don't know i don't know so you know but she, luckily she didn't know how to use bitcoin because i'm pretty sure that if she if she did she would have sent them about $500 before she called me but that's, right. that's and, that, and that doesn't just happen to old people. I, I, I have seen some uh, Facebook posts from friends of mine that are about my age saying like, well, I guess you're going to all see my dick on Facebook tonight because I don't have $600 <laughs> in Bitcoin. And you're like, bro, that's not real. You're, you're safe, man. But, you know, and, and people my age keeping the keeping the Band-Aid over the webcam on their uh, laptop. I see that all yeah, the time. I mean, everybody, everybody's it's just like it's it's a weird and maybe there's maybe there's something to that maybe you should cover your webcam i, I hell i don't know but well then that's a, that's a good point because again whereas in the old cyberpunk movies you would see this like blatant you know stranglehold of of neon signs and and you know big brother is watching yeah. and you know it's all so it's so obvious and it's just so unencumbered and it's just it is you you live under the oppression of this but the reality of it is, fast forward 20, 30 years later, is that in fact, it is way more scary in some ways because it's not obvious, right? I, I would equate it to the, the difference between, um, uh, what, what do you call it, when, when two warring armies sort of line up across a field from one another and they just like charge versus like guerrilla warfare. Right, yeah. Right, and I think that the way that technology is actually – be oppressing us not i don't want to say technology is oppressing us i i think that some of the the true anxieties that can come by exploiting technology are far more dangerous and sneaky you know it's it's the sneaky uh manipulative gaslighting kind of schemes that work and then it's this general distrust that all your data is being collected by the government anyway yeah. right which is which has been shown and and this idea that like, you know, how many, I mean, how many times have you seen the meme where it's like, um, uh, I think it's like a guy talking to Alexa or talking to his, his friend. And he's like, oh yeah, Alexa, here's everything I say. Oh, that's so silly. And then he laughs and then I laughed and then Alexa laughed. Yeah. Right? Hey, wiretap. Uh, what's the quickest way to, you know, boil water, you know, that kind of thing. It's yeah. Yeah, exactly. So these are things that we sort of. We sort of laugh as we accept them, but at the same time, I do think that there is an air of like this is kind of dangerous. Like maybe, maybe uh, you know, a, a, a more current theme to be implemented into the world of cyberpunk is this identity, this idea that our identities are public, that there is no such thing as privacy anymore, and that um, kind of to your point about the advertisement following someone around, and and you know when I go to a restaurant, Google knowing where I'm at. And all these reports of, you know, your private information being hacked and shared and 
Facebook and all these things, maybe it's less about, you know, big giant neon holograms of women, you know, coming down at you and more. Maybe it's more like you're being followed. You're being watched. You're absolutely um, right. I, oh, I'm sorry. Continue. Did I? No, I was just going to say, like, I'm not saying this is a good movie, but I do think as we're having this conversation, it kind of came to mind. And I wonder if it wasn't maybe really super ahead of its time. And it's not cyberpunk in the traditional sense, but do you remember the movie The Cable Guy? Yeah. Yeah. Jim Carrey. That was hilarious, man. Yeah. Ben Stiller directed film. So if you remember the plot of that, it's this geeky guy that comes over to like fix his cable or something. And then he ends up like convincing him to get like the free cable package. And then he becomes a stalker that just like he can't get out of his life. Yeah, Because he's like, you You know, you owe me because I gave you like a cable upgrade and didn't charge you or something. And yeah, 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 I remember that. Yeah. So, I mean, doesn't that kind of sound like the geek squad in some ways? Totally. Like this idea of this like semi tech savvy predator, like like snaking their way into your lives and, um, you know, you unable to shake their ever ever watching presence and and every aspect of your life. Yeah, and and they're not too different from the uh, those vacuum guys. I can't remember which vacuum company it was, but they they tell them to basically uh, go to old people's houses and just like clean their whole whole house and like don't stop cleaning until they've bought an eight hundred dollar vacuum. But uh, but right. and that's pretty much what the Geek Squad is. But uh, but you you brought up a really cool point though about surveillance and privacy. And, um, you know, I, I hate to do this cause it's like, whenever you talk about this stuff, it's like, oh yeah, it's, you know, so cliche to go here, but in Orwell's 1984, uh, you had, you know, cameras in the rose bushes, uh, microphones hidden in the grass, um, mm-hmm. you know, and there, I think the big climax, the big turning point was when the two lovers who are having a secret illegal love affair, uh, they're they're meeting in their private place, and then all of a sudden, a voice from behind a painting says, uh, "Stay where you are." And they they pull the painting right. off the wall to see if there's a camera and a microphone in there that's been w- watching. And it's been there the, the whole, whole time, time, yes. In spite of in spite of all of their efforts to meet, and that's see. right. And that has a version of that happened recently, but it was completely different. It was uh, the old lady masturbating. Uh, what's that? The old lady no, it wasn't that. No, but it was it was a man was in his house and this voice comes on and it's uh hey buddy, hey pal, hold on a second. And he's what the you know, what is good what who's saying that? You know, and hey, uh I'm okay, I'm not like a big time hacker, but I kinda do it as a hobby sometime and uh, and this is the voice talking to this man in his right. house, just out of nowhere. And uh I gotta let you know that it's time to change your passwords because i pretty much have access to every intercom and uh, security camera in your house and i can see everything you're doing i can see every room and uh i just i i just know you know i just found this today and um i just wanted to let you know that you're uh you're, you're very vulnerable and the guy's like, holy shit, you know <laughs> like those those security Jesus. cameras i put in my house to make sure i don't get robbed like some random guy from somewhere in the world who knows where is talking to me. And luckily maybe, I don't know. He's a nice guy and he's telling him like, Hey, you know, you need better security, but you know, who knows how long he'd actually been watching him. But like that right. is, I've been watching him masturbate to 70 year old woman's masturbate. All right. You, you need to get over that. But, but that is so like the 2000, <laughs> well, it happened last year, but that is like the 2020 right. version of 1984. It's not, 
big right. brother going, stay where you are. You've done something illegal. It's just some guy <laughs> somewhere that's like, hey, I'm kind of a hobbyist hacker and I've been watching you. So you might want to update your password. Uh, but yeah, in the same way that, you know, Orwell was like, there will be cameras in the rose bushes. There will be microphones in the grass. There will be all this stuff. Not necessary. We we bring them with, it'll be in your pocket. You'll bring it with you. And I'll right. be, have a, have a VPN, have a virtual private network, you know, have some better security. But like I was just telling you before the show, I was talking about my 3d printer, how I installed a webcam on that. You know, it's just like everything right. has a camera, everything has a microphone. It's it's everywhere. It yeah, it's, like, it's all um, over the place. Well, isn't it, it's like vampire, like technological vampires, right? We, we invite they, them. We in. invite them into our yeah. home. Yeah, <laughs> and um, in the same way that say like Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven has this idea that like, you know, the idea of all these cybernetic implants and and limbs and what have you is this idea of um, the isolation and the loss of and the loss of humanity. Right, because of the dangers of technology of, of unregulated tech, technological growth, but that's not what happened. What happened was uh, technology got sleeker and prettier, and we were convinced that it was necessary, and we invited it in willingly. I think it is so, necessary. You know, I, I, I think have, it's very helpful. Uh, helpful, yes. Necessary, no. Right? We could live without it. You see people all the time disconnect from technology, and they live perfectly happy I, lives. I think right? they do, but um, I think they also are able to do that because they're on the safety net of a society where everyone else has technology to keep it progressing. I don't know. I don't know about that because I don't necessarily know that technological and societal progression is necessary or a good thing always Um, inherently. I think that there's nothing better or worse between someone who lives in a city and has an Alexa dot and has Apple TV and has a, a, you know, Android phone and has a webcam versus someone who lives out in the rural country and they just live in their home and maybe they have a flip phone because they got to get in touch with people in case of emergencies, but well, they're just kind of living in their own little world and now, and being okay with that too, you know, living off the I, land. There's nothing wrong with I, I hear a little what bit of that saying, as well. But I am out here in central Texas, you know, the home of Alex Jones and the whole community of conspiracy conspiracy theorists and all and I, I have meet met so many guys that are like me man I'm a survivor man I'm living off the grid boy I don't even renew my license man I'll just live off the grid boy I'm a I'm a sovereign citizen and it's like yeah man that's great man that's cool you're also a huge burden on your family you're also two miles from a grocery store you know it's like don't yeah, don't don't act like about. you're I- some guy that like when everything goes to shit I'm be okay, man, because I'm a survivor. And it's like, nah, dude. Yeah, you're, but you're in the same soft world that I'm in. Like you're, you're. Yeah, yeah, but that's that's not what I'm talking about, Matt. What I'm talking about is that as as technology advanced, right? And we see this all the time. We got convinced. Um, we got convinced that we need the newest phone, and in some ways, we do if we want to maintain a lifestyle, I, I, right? Can, there, it's 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 a twofold, right? On the one hand, we keep getting these newer and newer phones with more and more, you know, more and more um, RAM features, uh, features and functions, yeah, yeah. right? So, you know, the world survived just fine without Google Maps or Waze. It might have been a little bit more challenging, but we all got around, right? The society existed for you know a couple hundred years before that came. That feature came around. Um, we all had phone uh, cameras 
before they were in phones and before they were 4K. We all had those things, right? I got around with them. But, of course, it wasn't as convenient, obviously, right? There's obviously a, a, an attraction to having all – I mean, I do I need my Alexa Dot? I've only had it for a couple of years. I'm, I'm nearly 39. So what did I do for the 37 years prior to that, right? We all lived fine before all these things. But they're sexy and they're enticing and they make things so much easier and you pull and you draw them all in and then you get sort of a caught in a trap potentially, right? You see this with people with jobs that they hate. I mean, how many people have you ever met or you come across or you hear about that just they hate their jobs, but they're stuck in it because they got to maintain the lifestyle, yeah. right? They got to maintain the two cars. They kind of so like, man, phones are like a thousand bucks a pop now. Yeah. And you kind of do need to upgrade every at least two to maybe three years because uh, – and not just for aesthetic reasons, but because like a lot of functions simply are designed to not – no longer work on older models, even if physically they still operate fine, right? And so there's a sort of there's – this, there's this seduction from technology, but there's also a, a, an allowance of it into our lives that have – at the price of our privacy, potentially, not in every instance. I don't think there's everyone has hackers that are like watching them, you know, around their house. But we don't know that there's not either. We don't know how often this occurs. You know, like that dude seems like a relatively good guy that he like he let his mark know. Hey, dude, I, I hacked into your shit. Maybe you should change your passwords. But like how many other guys would have just spied? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so so like I do think that there is a a world and a need to address some of these things, right? That's like, you know, if you want to believe simply that art is to hold a mirror up, like there is still that world in which these technological insecurities and anxieties can have a mirror held up to it. And I think a show that did a really good job of doing it without falling into the tropes of Blade Runner, which again, I love is Mr. Robot in Mr. Robot. It is a cyberpunk show. Yeah. I mean, totally different. It's set in modern times, not in the future. And, you know, he doesn't have a cool jacket, leather jacket, spike. But, you know, he's got that black hoodie that he wears pulled up all the time. And he's a hacker, which is, you know, in the in the, in the the same sort of uh, descendant of, of Case from Neuromancer or Neo from Matrix. He's a hacker. And he's – what is his arch enemy, right? It's a giant corporation. Uh-huh. In the same way of a what was the corporation that created RoboCop? Oh, I, I forget can't what their name that. was. No. Yeah. Or like Tyrell Corporation from yeah. Blade Runner, right? Like um, uh, Matrix didn't really have that. It, it had the literal machines, but it has it. It does grasp to a lot of the things that make it cyberpunk, but it also got rid of a completely like the film noir aspect uh-huh. of it, and it's in modern day. And I think that it focuses on slightly more relevant topics in a more uh, subtle way, such as, um, you know, mental health is a big aspect of Mr. Robot. Isolation, um, you know, technology pushing us apart and and dividing us and the lack of community. Things of this nature are still – they're very much cyberpunk – part of the cyberpunk ethos, but they're being done in a much more modern and maybe relevant manner. Well, that's what I'm asking you is because getting back to movies, what we're supposed to be talking about is like, well, that's a show. 
Do, well, I, no, I don't, I don't mean that. I just mean like uh, as far as like art. Like, do we want cyberpunk to be realistic and relevant? Because you're right, Mr. Robot presents something that I think could happen. But at the same time, in 1995, Johnny Mnemonic looked like something that I think could happen. But now, right? Do you remember the plot to Johnny Mnemonic? He was vague. I kind of want. He was some kind of a data smuggler, and the way he would pull this off was he had a special drive in his brain that he could like upload data to, and like he would he could go through places undetected because it was an internal thing, and then like uh, you know you'd plug into his head and like download the data, and that seemed reasonable at the time. Seemed like yeah, like a a walking hard drive. And at the time, it seemed like yeah, that could be. That could be a cool future, you know. That that's possible. I, I could see a need for that, and a means to that with the technology that's going to come. Uh, modern day Johnny Mnemonic, if that was even a thing that was necessary, might just uh, put a thumb drive up his Drop ass. His phone? You know, <laughs> just put a put a twenty dollar <laughs> thumb drive up his ass. You know, and just like <laughs> clean it off and give it to the mafia when he gets there you know it's like uh right four terabytes yeah, exactly <laughs> it's like and i think uh, yeah he had 80 gigabytes in his head now if i remember correctly it was yeah it was right which 80, is 80 gigabytes now. and i think they they exceeded it up to like 120 or something so it was like messing up his he had to like remove his childhood memories to fit the rest of it it was totally ridiculous right but yeah it's like uh nowadays uh 80, 80 gigabytes is uh the size of a piece of like a little cornflake it's it's tiny and um so what I'm saying is, why don't why don't we still make movies like that? We should. St- I th- I think that would be awesome. I think I w- I still want to see a movie where like a guy has to upload you know a few gigabytes up to it, and it can only he can only use a special drive in his brain or fingernail or whatever. You know, I still want to see that kind of stuff, and that, that that's what I'm saying. It should be. We're at the point now where we're going like, okay, it's pretty obvious that the future's not going to go that way. So let's just treat it right. like steampunk. Let's just treat it like something that it's like it's a fantasy world and it's a fantasy version of the future or even the present. It's a fantasy sci-fi mm-hmm. world that we have now because we've totally surpassed it. So now we can just play with it. Yeah, yeah I mean, look, those movies are out there. Um, you know, again, Ultra Carbon, Mute, I mean, they they do exist, uh, and they're and they're constantly being made. Actually, I guess the the impact is that they're, they're not having an impact. Even Blade Runner twenty forty nine, which I thought was excellent. I know we've talked, we've done a show kind of talking about it before, but you know, it was bound because it's a sequel to portray Los Angeles in the in the same manner as the original Blade Runner. But uh, if you look at these scenes that are set outside of the city. They look like areas that have been overrun by climate change that has gone um, un, unfeathered, right? Like that has gone uncontrolled. You know, like Las Vegas is a barren wasteland. of It's a dust yeah. bowl, right? Um, there's another scene where he goes to look up this uh, orphanage and it's set in which a part of town that's just overrun with trash and scrap. Right, it's pretty evident that they've just sort of taken over land and just dumped all their trash there, and it's just mountains and mountains and mountains of trash. Um, even the the area where where he confronts uh, Dave Batista, the very opening of the movie, it's like this marshland 
that looks barely capable of, of providing any true crop and plant. So even with the film like that, that did its best efforts to bridge the, gra- the gap, uh-huh. You know, they showed all the flying cars on the cool shit that we kind of like, the the aesthetics that we like of the genre. But it also tried to do something new. And it didn't do very well in the box office. And I don't think we're going to get a third one. I mean, maybe in another 30 years if Harrison Ford sticks around. But, um, you know, these movies aren't – I mean, for they're, they're very niche now, right? And for, for a hardcore cyberpunk fan like myself, it's super relevant um, – and, you know, it's not just movies. There's, there's bands like Carpenter Brew and and all these sort of like uh, synthwave bands that are coming out that sort of drew inspiration from John Carpenter and Blade Runner, Vargas from Blade Runner and all these things. And so, like, the aesthetic is still uh-huh. there. But it, it, it's not the cultural phenomenon that it was once before. And I think part of that is because, much like uh, we talk about with, like, the Friday the 13th remakes, right, all these remakes that just – they're not of the time anymore. Right. And so they're fine if you just want to take a trip down memory lane. But if you want to have more of a cultural impact, I do think that filmmakers need to start looking at what are these anxieties as they exist today? And is there a, a, a more clever way of telling these stories so that they still have the same impact that, say, the original Blade Runner or even The Matrix, for that matter, had? Hmm. I – yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, uh, I I see what you're saying that there's still a lot of social messages and important warnings to be had in the cyberpunk genre, but I just feel like there's so much fun to be had too with just ridiculous oh, totally. fake technology. I mean, set a movie in 2020. 2020 sounds like it's the future, you know, but but yeah. <laughs> make it as crazy and chaotic as uh, as Johnny Mnemonic or as The Matrix. What about this? Let me let me let me pitch you an idea. What if someone made a movie set in 2020, right? But it's set in an alternate reality. And the the preamble of the movie talks about how, like, I don't know. Remember when Reagan was shot? Let's just use that as an uh-huh. example. Like, Reagan was shot, but he actually died. And how that splintered off and sent us down a different path. And it's almost like, remember those Marvel What If yeah. comics? I think you could still play with that, that same sort of imagery and have real fun with it. But, like, do it in a clever way instead of being, like, a trope that you are just drawing from because you grew up loving Blade Runner, but like make it interesting. Like this is not our world, but this is a world that could have been if these things had occurred, like that could be kind of fun to do. And then you're kind of playing with the aesthetic and you're making it interesting and you might still have something to say. I think there's lots of avenues to go through if people, and this is kind of what we talked about when we did our end of the decade episode, we got to stop looking back. So, um, with rose-colored glasses of the things we grew up with and just trying to replicate those that moment of uh-huh. time. And we need to start pushing the envelope. I'm not saying every film has to say something, but they're not working with the mass audience. And so, so why? So we got to look at why. Even though, uh, like, well, even, I'm not even saying like, because, okay, hold on a second. Because <laughs> uh, you were saying, oh yeah, maybe Reagan died when he got shot, something like that. I, I'm talking like, Films that don't even have to explain why it's different, just because cyberpunk, because that's what steampunk has right now. It's like, what right. if, you know, because so many steampunk stories take place in the current year, or you know, mod- it's supposed to be modern times, just very different. And most of them don't even have to feel the need to explain that anymore. They're just like because steampunk, man, 
Uh, you know, and a lot of that is video but, games and novels. It's not really happening in cinema, right. but uh, I, I mean, I'm saying cyberpunk's at that level now where they don't have to explain it. You know, just it's a cyberpunk world, man. But do you feel any danger that cyberpunk will fall the way of steampunk? In that it's a very niche, small community that doesn't really translate into film because of the economics behind making a film make it impossible to sort of take that chance on such a small audience. I don't know. I remember when steampunk first started kind of gaining popularity. I, I was pretty excited about it. I thought, like, this is really cool stuff. This is really going to be big and there's going to be a lot of really cool uh, movies. And I, I thought it was I thought it was an interesting idea, but it then it just turned into this kind of thing that uh, LARPers and uh, techno goth kids do you know it's just kind of like a weird uh, weird thing that uh, I lost interest in pretty quick I, uh, yeah it's very possible but uh, I, I think there's a fun place for it uh, still um, to just say uh, you know unexplained no, no need no need no need to explain just weird technology that we would never have and just that's just fun I, I definitely feel like, regardless of the angle that we approach it from, I think what we're both saying is that there is still a world where cyberpunk should be relevant and still has a place in modern society, whether it's just as a fun escapism or it's something more reflective of the times or it takes a genre and subverts it in a way that's interesting. Like we said, like we've talked about before with like the comic book yeah. genre, right? And how there may be ways of taking that and turning it on its head. I think that the world of cyberpunk still has a place in modern cinema. We just gotta find ways to to, to mix it up a little bit, make it a little make it a little interesting. And um, I'm really excited to see what modern filmmakers do. And and as as an aside from that, I think that we need to also up our game in real life. Because why don't we have cool? Why don't, why doesn't our life look like cool Blade Runner future? Where are all the neon signs and the cool jackets and like crazy spiky hairdos? Well, get a 3D printer and start making your own stuff, man. Because you you can, <laughs> you know. We, I don't know. We, how to do I, a 3D I know. Printer. There's I'm YouTube struggling. videos. Uh, I think the long and short of it all is just that what we're witnessing is something that used to be a futuristic sci-fi genre has joined the long list of different fantasy realms. So you know we've got. Right all kinds of fantasy, you know, medieval fantasy. And, and, and now there's futuristic fantasy in that cyberpunk. I think that's what's happened. Lord of the Rings. And what have you. Well, uh, I hope you guys enjoy cyberpunk as much as we do. Um, check out the new shows that are happening now and, you know, hit us up on one of our social media at Groundhouse podcast and tell us what kind of cool cyberpunk story you have. And some of the interesting ways that you think that you can, um, push the genre to new heights. We know, we have a lot of talented filmmakers that listen to the show, and we'd love to hear from you and share some of your ideas. But in talking with the audience, Matt, would you like to go to an audience question, mailbag question? Always. All right. Questions from the Crypt. Dream Doctor asks, what is the value of film critics in 2020 when the trailers show you everything already? So... This is an interesting question. Um, in modern day, in the old, in the old days, in ye old days, part of the role of a film critic was to 
give the audience some idea. They were they were a tastemaker, right? They were like, before you spend your five bucks on this film, like let me tell you if it's good or not, right? And they were a gatekeeper and a tastemaker, and they, in theory, had some sort of background in film and some sort of innate knowledge of film that they could really break down for you whether or not this was worth your spending your money. And I and I would assume that based on how often you agree with this critic's opinion or not, you might say, oh, yeah, I usually like his what stuff he likes. I'll like this movie or I won't. Um, it's a good point that trailers basically show you the whole movie now, which I don't think is necessarily attached to film critics, but I do think is an issue. And there's so much media out there. We could kind of, I guess this kind of loosely ties in with what we were talking about with Cyberpunk, where it's like, you know, like the, the, the onslaught of media is like bombarding you. For, I think for movies, it definitely bombards you with trailers and, and at least in Los Angeles, posters and bus stops and 30 seconds clips and 12 second clips and gifts and all this sort of bombardment before the movie even comes out that you almost know. I mean, you should at least have a really good sense of what this flick is about. So I don't know. I mean, I don't know how you feel about it. I mean, I, I guess as far as being a tastemaker i don't know if it's as relevant as it might have been before we had so much sharing of technology and and media i would say that a film critic uh you know you watch a trailer they're they're every trailer is amazing these days they're all like their own little short film and you're like man that looks cool and then the film critic's kind of there either uh you know the, the the film critic is like there as in regards to the trailer to kind of look you in the eyes and, and give you a little head shake like nah no trust me that's they're they're full of shit it's not that good you know it's because every right. trailer is cool nowadays and and partly because right. they show you the whole film in the trailer uh and right or at least the best yeah, parts right uh, all the good parts and so the film critics there to in regards to trailers to just say like uh uh no it's it's actually bullshit that's that's it that's all the good parts don't go watch it you know or or do watch how do you it. feel how do you feel about the uh some it's not every film but there are oftentimes, especially you see with like the, the, the real genre films, like the Star Wars and the Marvel and DC films, the wide disparity between film critic scores and audience scores. Uh, I, I think that that is from audiences just – I think often an audience will give a movie a good score if they go to it and have a fun time and go home. And they're like, that was pretty cool. I enjoyed that experience. Whereas a film critic is trying to uh, actually hold it to a little higher standard. They, you know, sure. Like, sure. Yeah. Hopefully. Well, well, I would say that a film, cri- uh, like a film that's, you know, fun to watch, but that mm-hmm. you wouldn't, cause that's how I feel about a lot of films these days. They're fun to watch, but I wouldn't want to watch them again. And that, yeah. that a film like, yeah. Very disposable. Very disposable, yeah. But it's like you gla- like a roller coaster. It's like you sat through it and it was pretty cool. Now let's go write something else. And uh, Okay, Scorsese. Well, I mean, <laughs> there's a reason he's Scorsese, man. He knows what he's talking about. And, that's right. Uh, and I think uh, uh, that's not good enough for a film critic. And it shouldn't be. They're, they're going, hey, man, it shouldn't you, be. you didn't right. really make good cinema. You just made like a fun little experience. And, and that's cool. It's good for a night out. But like it's not something that should get a high rating by a film critic because it's not going to be something we go back to. Right. Well, and I, I have a very love, mostly hate relationships with film critics because I think unfortunately it's both good and bad. Anyone can be a film critic. I mean, hell we're, you and I are doing a show about cinema. Largely, yeah. We do right? a lot of criticism. Um, 
And we do a lot of criticism. I, I would like to believe that when we do criticism, it's it's critique and not just like it fucking sucked or it's totally awesome. You know, I'd like to believe that what we do on the show is a step above the Simpsons comic book guy. But, you know, it's it's a little hit or miss because a lot of film critics online are just fanboys, you know, kind of sp- coming from a place of emotion and not necessarily being those people who are, ser- you know, they're not servicing the audience by by giving them the, hey, guys, I'm a trusted source. This probably isn't worth your money or maybe wait till it's on iTunes and rent it for two bucks or whatever it may be, right? That's the role that they, or, or even from the perspective of helping you understand the movie more. And there are exceptions, right? Um, John Squires from BladeDisgusting.com. If you guys don't follow him on Twitter, Freddy in Space, dude is an awesome writer. And it's very clear that he loves movies. And his movies tend to be, his reviews tend to be fairly optimistic, but he's not above criticism. But even when I don't agree with him, the criticism feels warranted, at least from his point of view, right? Um, Joe Bob Briggs, I know that he has been kind of under fire lately. He's been the sort of the the latest, um, whatever, Twitter hates him right now. Um, but he's another guy who adds perspective to a film that I watch. Whether or not you agree with his review of it yeah. or not, I think that it would be a, doing him a disservice to not recognize that what he's attempting to do and oftentimes is successful in doing is adding perspective to the film in general. Um, so is it relevant today? I guess it depends on the critic. If you're good enough, you're still relevant. Yeah. You know, you can still, there's still, and to your point earlier, like maybe not just relevant, but you're probably maybe needed more than ever because this, uh, this onslaught of media is breaks through our walls, right? We talked about it with the cyberpunk episode. Like before I know it, I'm going to go take a piss and there's going to be an advertisement telling me to watch whatever movies coming out, you know, and I'll never escape it. Just follow me around the bathroom and down the hallway and to my desk and it'll show up on my computer screen. And then I'll check my phone and it'll be on a sponsored Instagram ad. And it's un it's unescapable in some ways. So, in many ways, maybe we could look at it from the perspective of the film critic is needed more than ever, but they've got to be good because they actually have a proper role to play so that we're not taken by the geek squad of, of movie traders <laughs> convincing us to buy this movie that sucks, like the, the trailer for Man of Steel, you know? Where were the film critics there to save me from spending that 15 bucks? Well, wow. Well said. I'm amazed. You tied it all in. You even brought the Geek Squad back. <laughs> so, <laughs> good job, man. I, we're gonna we're gonna get we're gonna have them uh, chase us now. <laughs> well, do we have any other mailbag questions? I'm gonna start calling them the. No, just, just the, the one. one. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> I I guess we made a show then. What do you think? We made a show, and hopefully, we don't have the Geek Gestapo coming by <laughs> and kicking down our door with their Converse shoes and their black rimmed glasses and their. Best Buy logos strapped to their armbands. Uh, we're going to rebel against them, guys. The Grindhouse podcast is the resistance to the geek Gestapo. I, yeah, so, at the same time, you, you were complaining about the quality of your webcam earlier, so maybe you should give them a call. <laughs> I just was making the note that maybe I should buy a new one, but I don't need it. Oh, listen, I am a, I am a slave to the same things in technology that I am talking about. My house is filled with invasions of privacy that I've invited in. These technological vampires. I let the right vampire in, <laughs> right? It was it was called the Alexa Dot. 
and an iPhone and a webcam and an Android phone. So we're all slaves under the system, guys. We are living in a cyberpunk world, just with less cool jackets and hairstyles. So it's unto you guys. It's unto the filmmakers, the writers, the directors, the even just the audience to demand more and to get the most out of this genre because it's very much relevant today. Yeah. Hell yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> and I can't wait to Cyberpunk 2077 comes out so I can geek out with you, Matt, and shoot some bad guys and press Well, in the meantime, you can play their previous game, which is uh, The Witcher 3, made by the same people. And you're going to have a great oh. time because it's just as good as the show. So, Well, maybe one day, Matt, I can find my own crazy hands inside of me. That, just say thanks for listening. <laughs> In the show. Thanks for listening, everyone. From Dave and Matt, adios. Crazy hands. Crazy hands. You're listening to the Grindhouse Podcast on the Technological Future Network. Please follow us on Instagram at Grindhouse Podcast and listen to us every Monday on iTunes, SoundCloud, and now on Spotify.